we're putting our 2018 missions convention together, the very first person that I had on the list to have come and share with you. And I, I am I, I'm so grateful, Alton, that your schedule allows you to be here this morning. Um, I, I believe this. I believe that he has a voice for this church. I believe that he has a message for this hour. I believe he has a mandate for this generation. Would you help me this morning in welcoming our friend and one of the great men of the gospel, Alton Garrison. God bless you, buddy. Great to be in Calvary. Great to be with Christ's followers. It's great to be with sinners. Saved by grace. That means everybody in this room has a story. Aren't you glad grace found you? It's a word I want to kind of emphasize to you today. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Once we have received, we kind of have an instruction from God to never be satisfied until other people receive that same privilege. Think about those disciples that walk with Jesus. They saw him do all these miraculous things. He was a great teacher. He discipled them. Then they watched him go through this horrible week where he was beaten and then he was crucified and they put him in a tomb and then he was resurrected and he comes to him right before he leaves and he says, I'm leaving, you're staying, the devil's going to fight you, <laughs> good luck. No, no, that's not in the Bible, I made that up. But think about how overwhelmed they must have said, felt. And then he gave them that last instruction. Go make disciples of all nations. These guys had never been 100 miles from home. How overwhelmed they must have felt. They've been on this emotional roller coaster. They're losing their mentor, their teacher. They've already been through this one powerful, decimating, life-changing week. And now he says, you got to go take on this task. Where, 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 where do we start? Acts 1.8, God had an answer. Start with Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, go to, say it with me, Judea. And then to Samaria. And then to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, you can't take that sequentially without taking it simultaneously. The Assemblies of God have taken it seriously. They started 104 years ago with just 300 people in Hot Springs and said that year we're going to start the greatest evangelism effort the world's ever seen. And if you're only 300 strong, how many believes that's a pretty audacious statement? <laughs> that we're not the only group preaching truth, but God has blessed us. You just heard Pastor Ed say that we are almost 70 million strong around the world today. Can you say amen to that? 
Every 95 minutes, a brand new church is formed, an Assemblies of God church, somewhere on the planet. Every 95 minutes, every 37 seconds, somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ in an Assemblies of God church or preaching point around the world. And, and that's amazing, amen? <laughs> You're part of this global activity that's impacting the world. But let me tell you something interesting. 95% of the Assemblies of God constituency lives outside the United States now. And only 5% lives inside the United States. That's a testimony to the commitment to every tribe, every nation. But can I tell you that unless the church, that 5%, stays strong here in America, we are not going to continue to see the Churches planted and the people educated because our teaching and training has to be important. Why? Because he not only said go disciple them, he did say that. Then he said to emphasize and expand that, teach them to observe everything I've taught you. And if you thought they were overwhelmed with the task of going out and reaching everybody, now they got to teach everything. The master teacher... Where do we start? We start with the Beatitudes. We start with the Sermon on the Mount. You've taught so much. We start with the parables. We start with the Olivet Discourse. Where do we start? Out of the 613 laws that the Jews observed, he narrowed it down to two. Loving God and loving others. Loving God, you just heard your pastor say, if you love God, you will love what he loves. And if you love others, you'll want to share with them the grace of God because without God's grace, they'll never find an eternity in heaven. Amen? <laughs> so grace, this is all about God's grace. There's another word I really like. It's called providence. Everybody say providence. I call that supernatural scheduling. Supernatural scheduling. Man, that grace, it impacted my life. It's impacted my family. My wife was born in Holland. Her dad was a survivor of the Holocaust. His dad was killed in a concentration camp. His mother was blown up in a bombing raid perpetrated by a horrific mistake. He lost everybody but a brother because of this horrible, horrible war. When the bombs were dropping on this innocent Dutch village where Johanna, my wife's father, was just a teenager, where he lived, when the bombs stopped dropping, his house, which was a houseboat docked in the Rhine River, it was the only home they had. They lived on a houseboat. His dad had already been killed in a concentration camp. His mother and sister were having lunch with him. He saw and heard planes. He came out to wave at them. He thought they were Allied planes. They made a mistake. They dropped a load of bombs on an innocent village. And when the bombs stopped exploding, he looked back and the houseboat had taken a direct hit. The only remains of his mother that he could find was a little piece of scalp floating with some hair attached. And then he found her little Bible. He walked the streets of that little fishing village. And as incomprehensible as it may seem to you and me today, he was the only survivor. And that day he bought into Satan's lie with just 
the remains of his mother, the only remains of his mother he could find clenched in his fist. He shook his fist into the face of God and said, you're no God of love to me to allow this to happen. And he said that day, I'll never bow my knee to you again. But aren't you glad when you're not looking for God, God's still looking for you? <laughs> That's God's grace. Come on now. Well, it took a while. He escaped two concentration camps during the war. He was sentenced to those, but he somehow miraculously escaped. Then became a member of the Royal Dutch Army, sent to Indonesia. You're going to hear about Indonesia next Wednesday. There he was sent to suppress a revolutionary. It was a long four-year revolution. But while he was there, he met and married a little Chinese Buddhist girl who was raised in Buddhism and also in occultism. 30 days after they got married, his unit was pulled back to Holland. She left her family, left her siblings, left her parents, and went. Demon spirits literally trailed her all the way back to Holland. And providence, supernatural scheduling. Some neighbor ladies, because she was in such fear and she was so lonely and her husband was so bitter and angry and their marriage was falling apart. Children were being born. She needed a break. They took her to Amsterdam. She thought they were going to a party. She thought they were going to a nightclub. I don't know if they didn't tell her or she didn't understand. She'd never been in a service. She'd never been in a gospel meeting. She'd never heard anybody preach from a Bible. She ended up in a, in a Billy Graham meeting. <laughs> Supernatural scheduling. <laughs> and he said, and I think he was talking metaphorically, I, I really believe when he said, Jesus is going to come down and meet with you. But he did. <laughs> It was in a vision, but he met with her, and he put his hand on her head. She began to weep. She didn't understand it at all. But when he said, I want you to come forward, if you want to receive Jesus Christ into your life, she walked down a, a, a Chinese Buddhist. She walked back a Chinese believer changed by the power of Almighty God. That's God's grace. So I'm pretty pumped about grace today. She went home and told her husband, this extreme, radical, unbelievable, emotional transformation in her life. She thought he'd be happy. He was mad. That's the God he hated. He said, I'll never bow. She started a church. He didn't like God, but he liked people. He'd go to church with her. And he liked potlucks. <laughs> it's a great evangelism tool. <laughs> One day he was sitting at the back of a church service waiting on them to get through so he could go to lunch. And the pastor said, I want everybody to turn and kneel. And he forgot about his vow, I guess, because he didn't remember that he said, I'll never bow my knee. He didn't think he was bowing his knee to God. He just thought he was, didn't want to look like he was the only one that didn't comply. But when his knee hit the floor, God's grace flooded in. He was changed. It's a lot more to the story, but uh, when my wife was 10, they immigrated to the United States and started attending a little assembly of God church in western Kansas. I went there as a single evangelist, and we had a great meeting. <laughs> I'm 
come on. <laughs> That's where I got found my wife. It was a, I don't know about the revival, but the meeting was wonderful. <laughs> Billy Graham said to us later when we told the story to him, you know, we didn't do one-night rallies overseas back in the 50s because it was too expensive. We were in Germany. We were going to go to uh, UK, and the people in the Netherlands begged us. They begged us that they were so persistent we broke protocol we didn't do it that way but we broke protocol and dropped into Amsterdam for one service and that's the service he said to Johanna your mother got saved in providence supernatural scheduling who knows what God has in store for you today, for you being here. You say, well, I just come because it's... No, 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 no. You may be here in divine appointment, in divine assignment. Isn't that something? My story is so much different. Johanna's got Buddhism and occultism and and Holocaust and and, uh, Billy Graham. All this is in the background. I'm from Sour Lake, Texas. (laughs) Little town in southeast Texas. I don't think a Buddhist has even been through Sour Lake. A lot of Baptists. Everybody's been Baptist at least once in Sour Lake. The reason it's special to me, my dad was a high school dropout, started drinking at an early age, started working in the oil fields of southeast Texas, got married when he was 30 to mom. They didn't have children for seven years. Doctors said they wouldn't, so I was somewhat of a shock to their system when I was announced. And six months before I was born, my dad had a supernatural experience. Wasn't at an altar, wasn't in a church. He was driving from a party where he'd been drinking. But Jesus... God's grace, God's grace touched him. And in one split second, he went from sot to saint. (laughs) Hallelujah. He was radically changed. That's God's grace. That's a miracle. (laughs) An additional miracle of that was six months later, they appointed him pastor for church before he'd ever preached his first sermon. (laughs) say, well, how did they do that? Nobody knows. (laughs) Not advisable. I'm part of a team down in Springfield that creates all kinds of hoops for you to jump through to get your credentials. But sometimes God takes the unqualified (laughs) and he qualifies them and makes exceptions. If God qualifies you, there's not a devil in hell can disqualify you. How many believe that? Oh, it was a little church. They figured it was so small he couldn't mess it up. Nobody there but his family. When I say little, I'm talking little. I mean, it, you could fit the whole church right over here in this section. Wouldn't even, well, that's probably bigger than the church. Wouldn't seat but 80. I mean, he didn't have an office. He didn't have a secretary. He didn't have a deacon board. We didn't even have a foyer in our church. You were the in or out of our little church. But he and mom stayed there 22 years. See, when God plants a church... He gives it a sphere of influence, impact. Well, it's never a large church, but he started with a dynamic experience and he developed a narrative style of preaching, but he never had a process, see. But that didn't mean God didn't use him. In fact, I was reading Facebook just a few months ago. Think about this now. My dad's been in heaven for many years. And a guy from the little town of Sour Lake, he's a year younger than me, who's not in my class, who's in the class behind me, he said, I'm missing my dad today. 
Today would have been his birthday. This is what he's writing on Facebook. I just read it just a few months ago. And he said, I'm, I know I'm going to see him again. Because before he died, three days before he died, a preacher by the name of Garrison led him to the Lord. <laughs> My father. <laughs> God's grace. God's providence. Supernatural scheduling. Amen. Third word is that I really, I believe is going to be important before we're done here today is the word obedience. Obedience. I got a question for you. I, I don't even know if I know the answer. I'll let you just wrestle with it. Is delayed obedience disobedience? You see, and all of these stories as they, as they intertwine and all the ones that are in this room right now that I don't know about, I'm just telling you my story, but all these stories, they're intertwined. Somebody was able to present to you a choice to receive grace, to be what God's called you to be. So, so, so today's culture is, is people are struggling. Does my life matter? When I get up every day, will I make a difference? Is there any way that God could use me? I don't have the education. I don't have the background. I don't have the money. I don't have, I mean, I got too many things in my background. It's too bad. I got too much baggage. I mean, we got all kinds of excuses why we cannot be the one that could providentially with supernatural scheduling intersect somebody's life and bring life-giving water, life-giving grace to them through our life, through our testimony, through our example, through our invitation to church. So, so, so I don't even have a title today. I just have a theme. What if everybody, what if everybody in this room, what, what if everybody just did their part? Just did their part. You say, well, I can't be like Pastor Ed. I mean, he's articulate. He's a great transformational leader. He's a wonderful preacher. He loves missions. He travels, impacts a lot of people. I, but, 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 but God may be, uniquely preparing you for a moment in time to intersect somebody that he couldn't reach, that I couldn't reach, that Billy Graham couldn't reach. You say, who, me? Let's put a scriptural underpinning to this. Take a moment and turn in your Bible or your iPad or whatever you have to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And when I say Mark 11, I automatically people's mind goes just to the triumphal entry. And that's true. It was a phenomenal thing. I've already kind of described when Jesus got ready for the Passion Week. He's coming and he's going into. But, but there's something else I want you to look at today. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt or a little donkey tied on which no one has ever sat. Now, that's important. Remember that. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? 
tell them or say, the Lord has need of it. Isn't that fascinating? Here's a little donkey that's never been trained. Nobody's ever sat on him. And the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the master, teacher, the miracle worker, they had seen him perform all kinds of stuff, man, like blinded eyes open and deaf ears open and, and lame getting up. I mean, he, they actually saw him take a little boy's lunch one day and feed 5,000 men plus the women and children. I mean, that's pretty powerful. You just take a fish and break his head off and it grows a tail and break his tail off and it grows a head. Right, man. And that's amazing. Then they saw him bring to life a dead body and then all, he walked on water. All the, I mean, this is powerful, heady stuff. And he's saying, go get this little donkey because I need him. What in the world would this wonderful master teacher, this miracle worker, why would he need a little donkey? He said, go get him because I need him. There may be several reasons. One, if you understand a little bit about the history of what was happening in that day, people would go, kings would go, conquerors would go from one territory to another. And when they went, they went to conquer and they would take the spoils of war and they would display them behind them. They always came with chariots and horses and it was a sign of power. But if they came in peace and they were not going to do warfare, they came riding on a donkey. So, so, so the, the, the whole thing, I don't have time to really unpack it today, but I can tell you that all of the people that followed Jesus, most of them thought he was coming to overthrow the Roman government right then and he was going to help them rule the nation. He was saying by coming on this donkey, I'm not coming to help you rule the nation right now. I'm coming to help us rule your nature. It's a difference. He's coming on a horse one day, but first he came on a donkey, a little insignificant untrained donkey. The second thing I think that the donkey provided was elevation. If you don't, it was a Passover time. The crowd was huge. And Jesus needed to be seen when he entered for this triumphal entry. And so this donkey provided that elevation. How many believes that if Jesus needed to be seen 2,000 plus years ago, he needs to be seen today? I mean, today, there's a lot of stuff going on that Jesus needs. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw. And we lift him up. How? By with our praise, with our worship, with our partnership with missionaries, with our offerings, with our testimony, with our letting God supernaturally schedule our activity, being obedient to his voice. What if that little donkey had been disobedient? I don't know a lot about donkeys. But everything I've ever seen, heard, or read about a donkey, they're not known for their spirit of cooperation. So when they went to fetch him, what if he, now I'm putting language in a donkey probably he never thought of. Okay, this is my story. that I'm telling it this way. What if the donkey would have said, me, I'm not going to participate in that. I don't want some stranger sitting on my back. I don't want them to put all those garments on me. It'll, I'll lose my identity. They won't even know who I am. Probably he never had a problem with self-identity. But, I mean, you know, I'm just, help me now. <laughs> Stay with me. I don't want those people waving those branches in my face. I, 
What if he'd have had a temple? Just what if what if he'd had a, 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 a just a typical donkey day? <laughs> he was he was maybe bellowing or braying or whatever they do, or stubborn and he wouldn't move. And but he had to submit to carrying a king. And if you understand a little bit. If you understood the price that was paid, think about it. This little colt, this little donkey that was at a crossroads, he had a decision to make. But he was part of a redemptive plan. And he had to do his part. Somebody said, well, I could never be Billy Graham. I know. I could never be Pastor Ed. I know. All those people overseas that are sacrificing and missionaries you'll hear about and even those that have given their lives for the gospel pastor say to in josh district in nigeria that that was preaching the gospel and they told him to quit and he kept preaching and he planted churches and they cut off his feet and cut off his hands and gouged out his eyes and burned him alive you could i could never do that perhaps somebody says but 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 if we just did what god calls jesus just said donkey i want you to let me ride on you so i can be elevated and he's saying to you Come on, lift me up in this generation and I'll draw men. I'll do the rest. <laughs> Plus, think about it. If he was a firstborn donkey, Exodus chapter 15, verse 15 says that a lamb had to be slain to save his life. He was born with a sentence of death on his hand. If you understood the price that was paid for your redemption at Calvary, if you really understood it, there would be no price too great for you to help fulfill the great commission. Come on. Jesus said, go get a little donkey. And that donkey was not just an insignificant animal. 500 years before he was fetched by those two disciples to bring him to Jesus, he was prophesied about in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. See, God has scheduled everything, providence. And I can tell you now, that Calvary is here for a reason. Your pastor has got a passion for a reason. Missionaries will be coming here for a reason. We're going to talk about how the church needs to be successful and strong and healthy for a reason. Why? Because the church is the hope of the world. Amen. And the darker it gets in this city, the darker it gets in the United States, the brighter the light of the gospel will shine. This is a wonderful edifice, and it's large, and it's big, and this church is successful. But can I tell you that two-thirds of all the churches in the United States in this Assemblies of God don't have 100 today in Sunday, in Sunday service? 39% don't have 50. You say, can they still be effective? You need to go with me to Timbo Valley, Arkansas. I drove into that little town to preach for Dave Campbell. They didn't have a hotel they didn't have a red light they didn't have a sign out to tell how many people but when I drove up this church was there as a shining light in a little community I said Dave how many people are in your community he said we don't know I said guess you were the school superintendent guess he said well maybe 50 50 in the whole town I went in the little church. They still had the, anybody remember that, that, that board that they used to put on the wall, you know, attendance today? Gold. They had, on that day I was there, they had on their little goal, they had 117. You say, well, that's not very many people. I said the town was 50. Did you hear me? Come on. The town was 50. 
They had more than twice the size of the town in church that morning. That's a mega church. <laughs> I said, that's a mega church. I just sent them a video a few weeks ago. Are you hearing me now? I sent them a video a few weeks ago commending them, congratulating them for one decade of missions giving. Are you listening to me now? In a town of 50, one decade of missions giving that was one million dollars. I'm saying that God can take something that seemingly is so insignificant as a little donkey and make him part of a redemptive plan. He can take a church that may seemingly is just a church that everybody would walk past and ignore except you put them in a certain situation and when they're healthy and when they are God-given and when they have God-ordained goals and when they have fulfilled the Acts 2 responsibility of being spirit-empowered and preach the right message and get a process that God would help us be evangelists and disciple people and train people for service and get them involved in connecting with their community, we can see God do things. They give typically $100,000 a year every year to missions. Amen. (laughs) What if everybody did their part? That's my passion. Is to help churches that have become inward focused You say, well, how do they do that? They get into a survival mode and they don't think they can make a difference and they don't think they can impact their community and they begin to just make church about us. It's not just about us. It's about every tribe. It's about every nation. It's about fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, we do this with a series of activities that your pastor and this church has been very supportive of. It's called the Acts 2 model. We actually do it with four retreats where we take pastors and their vision teams and we help them answer 10 questions. Why do we exist? That's our mission. Where are we going? That's our vision. How do we behave? That's our values. How do we get there? That's our strategic plan. And then we take Acts 2, 42 through 47, which my father never really understood exactly. He never had that revelation. We call it connect, grow, serve, go worship. That's the pattern, that, the template of the New Testament church. It's one that your 40 days of prayer toward Easter is going to embrace. Actually, we've taken evangelism, discipleship, gift-oriented ministry, fellowship, and worship, which are five functions derived from that passage in Acts, and we have changed them to connect, grow, serve, go, witness. But it's the same process. So you have embraced that as a church. But think about a church in Timbo, Arkansas, that the adversary would say they are not worth anything because they are so small. And yet they do big stuff. Because if everybody does their part and you put it all together, every tribe, every nation. So it goes back down to not what the church can do, but what can the individual do? Because without Acts 2, Christians, we can't have an Acts 2 church. 
and the Acts 2 church, oh, it had some flaws and some faults, but it turned the world upside down. And now God's giving us a tremendous platform, and I want you to pray about it. Pray for us when you think about it. We thought we would just talk about the churches in America, but now they're saying, would you help bring this same template globally? And so I've just received invitation from Taiwan, Malaysia, Trinidad, Dominican Republic, Africa, to come train trainers. If we could train a thousand trainers who would conduct with a business plan that we have, we could reach a hundred thousand churches. And if we could see a hundred thousand churches go from being inward focused to outward focused and get the same kind of passion that we're experiencing here this morning, just think how much grace could be applied to this world if all of us were obedient to God's call and we submitted to carry a king. And we, see, I'm, I'm not, please don't misunderstand me. And I'm not, I don't want anybody to take this wrong. But if God could use that little donkey, you got a shot. <laughs> you got a shot. Before I turn it back to pastor, let me just say one more thing. Let me tell you this. I was challenging a group in a small church in Arkansas on a Sunday night. It was cold and less than a hundred people was there and I was challenging them about missions sitting on the fourth row was a little six-year-old girl she tapped her grandma on the shoulder and said I've been saving money to buy mommy a house but he, she said would you go next door and get my piggy bank and bring it I want to give it to that man to give to missions six years old I know a little bit about her story, but I found out so much more later. When she said, I've been saving money to buy mommy a house, there was a lot more to that story. And the reason she went next door was because it was the pastor's wife was her grandma. And that was the parsonage. Her mother was the pastor's daughter who had grown up in church, grown up in Sunday school, grown up in youth camps, grown up. But it become distracted and then defeated by the adversary. She became a crystal meth addict. She'd lost her husband, she'd lost her job, she'd lost everything she owned. And then a court judge had taken little Lauren at six years old and her little baby sister away from their mother and said she's an unfit mother and had given them in care to, for them to the grandparents who were the pastors of the church. I was down, I was down like right about here. I walked down, it was a small church, and, and I was still talking, and I looked up, and little Lauren was coming down the aisle, and she, it wasn't a piggy bank like you would uh, expect, you know, that wasn't built like a pig. It was a, it, 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 it was a quart jar, a mason fruit jar. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've put canned stuff in it, a mason fruit jar, and it was full of nickels and dimes. And, and she came and she, she was holding it up to me like this, right, right about here. I knew enough about that story to know that I didn't want that money. <laughs> and so I'm leaning down, and I'm trying to behind my back, and I'm trying to tell Lauren I don't want her money 
that these people are going to give me money to help with my missions project. And she needs to help her mommy. Now, she didn't understand that what she could put in that mason fruit jar couldn't buy a house. She just knew something was broken at her house, and she was trying to help fix it. (laughs) So I leaned down, and I I said, honey, I I, I really appreciate this, but I want you to keep this money. And I'm in the middle of trying, and I'm crying a little bit and slobbering a lot, and I'm not doing real good at this. And I'm in the middle of that little conversation, and she's looking at me like, I'm trying to give you something. And and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And that wasn't an audible voice, but you know what I'm talking about. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm giving Lauren her money back. And the Holy Spirit said, she didn't give it to you. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) Now I got a problem. (laughs) So I took the money, and uh, I was leaving the parking lot that night. I found out later it was $12.45 in it. And I I called Eddie, and I said, Eddie, I don't know why I didn't think of it, but I said, uh, I want to to fill up her her mason fruit jar again. He said, oh, you're too late. It's already full. (laughs) See, she taught me something that night that I've never forgotten. She taught me that everybody can do something. See, sometimes we don't think that what we have is enough and it's not good enough. But somehow, even a little town of 50 with a church that has a heart for God. And they're not wealthy people, trust me. The first offering he ever took for missions, he he said, I explained to the Holy Spirit why we couldn't give to missions. When God told him the reason you can't build a church here, they had 17 people and $400 in the bank, and they were in debt. God says, because you're not giving to missions. He explained to the Holy Spirit why they couldn't give to missions. They didn't have any money. God said, I didn't say put it in your budget. I said, take an offering. The first offering they ever took in Timbo Assembly of God was, he called it a broke Sunday offering. (laughs) What faith. (laughs) Broke Sunday offering. God's man of faith and power. He didn't expect to get anything. They didn't get much, but that's what started them on their journey. Everybody can do something. Second thing that I think God taught me out of little Lawrence fruit jar was uh, maybe God wants us to stretch sometimes. You say, what stretch? Just a little more. See, God's not going to ask you to give what you don't have, but he will frequently ask you to give what you'd like to keep. <laughs> Tweet that. <laughs> See, stretch to one person may not be stretched to the next. I don't know. I've asked people to give out of their business before, and they never thought about that. They only gave out of their personal income. That's stretched to them. If you've never given a faith promise or you've never given an offering to give above your tithe, that's stretched to you. But the third thing that really touched me, and I know that some people have abused this, but the Bible still has a... A concept that started way back in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. Seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping. Give and it shall be given. Freely you've received, freely give. Now she's sick. She didn't understand that concept. She just given to God. Her mother had 23 felony counts against her. The judge had already told her grandfather she deserves no mercy. Her parole officer says she's the worst case we've ever dealt with. We're going to put her in prison. On sentencing day, 
on sentencing day, he is giving her the sentence. And in the middle of his sentence, as he is giving her her sentence, he stopped and he said, I don't know why I'm doing this, Laura Lee, but if you'll go to a halfway house that I prescribe, I won't send you to prison. I'll give you one more chance. She went. Six months later, she gave her life to Jesus. Only 3% of crystal meth addicts ever get delivered. She got delivered. It took her a year to get back to functionality. But the same judge that gave her the sentence of taking her children away from her gave them back to her. (laughs) Now, the harvest had come a couple of other ways for Lauren. She got her jar back full, harvest. I took her to a, a banquet pastor ed a year later with her grandparents and and told her story and i had that fruit jar and she was there and and they gave two million dollars that night because of her faithfulness her seed sowing but the greatest harvest she ever got was when she got her mother back see when she was putting money in a fruit jar she was thinking house the Holy Spirit was thinking home <laughs> I lost track of Lauren and Laura Lee's and I quit telling the story because I didn't know the outcome and then I heard that uh, Lauren had had some problems as a young lady drugs herself I worried about it and I never told the story for a long time and then last year year somebody sent me an an article out of a Arkansas newspaper and a big story on her mother and a big picture and the story is that Laura Lee's her mother now directs a home of hope for troubled ladies and Lauren is now a young lady and she's the worship leader at that home of hope come on If God can do it once, he can do it again. What are you saying? Somehow, God works through the church. And it doesn't matter how small the church or how large the church. You can be healthy in a small community. You can be unhealthy in a big church. But God's looking for people that... God's grace to go out who are believing in supernatural scheduling and who want to be obedient when he speaks. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.